moms tell me that their little kid was resistant to wanting to pick up and learn Spanish. And then they see a hero who commands his, his tools and his magical ship using Spanish words. And all of a sudden, they're, they're talking in Spanish. So I've had moms tell me like, thank you so much. My kid now wants to learn Spanish. So it's those little things matter. You can create change when you have role models on screen that that celebrate the language and and the specificity of of the culture, of the folklore, of traditions, of and that sense of community. On this episode of Latin Equis, I speak with Nikki Lopez, creator and co-executive producer of Santiago of the Seas. Nickelodeon's brand new animated series, which premiered on October 9th. The show is infused with Spanish language and Latino Caribbean culture, and the 20 episode series follows Santiago Montes, a brave and kind hearted pirate, as he embarks on daring rescues, searches for treasure, and keeps the high seas safe in a fantastical Caribbean world. Nikki and I talk about Santiago of the Seas her journey to animation and creation, children's education, and the importance of diverse representation in the media. Hola, yo soy Andrea Márquez, and this is La Nikis, a show brought to you by La Red Hispana and the Hispanic Communications Network for the new generation of Latinics. We want to go beyond listening. We're ready to speak up, so join me in conversation every week as I meet Latinx from all over, the diferentes colores y sabores. As you know, a podcast is a journey, and I would love for you to follow this one. So join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Latinikis and reach out. You can also find out more on our website at wearelatinikis.com. I knew that I wanted to get into, into animation, and when I went to this convention it was it was a matter of of finding the the right chemistry and nickelodeon in particular just seemed like such a great place to be that that's what i i, I chased that light um and then when it comes to to the educational aspect of it of why preschool as i was starting my journey uh pitching ideas um at the time the studio was doing like a, almost like a development road show where they were showing things that were in development. Mm-hmm. Um, they showed uh, content from the six to 12 age range. And then they showed the preschool side. And I specifically thought that the, the preschool side of things was just so much fun and, and the characters were like more chances were being taken with the character designs. The, the color choices were, were just so rich and vivid. And there's also the aspect of, of preschools and preschoolers in general, they, they don't keep tabs on their imagination. So if there's a character that they absolutely love, they're going to they're going to just go into that land. They're going to see that character as as their friend. They're going to be 
they're, they might want to be like part of that world. So they'll role play with their friends that they're, for example, they're Santiago and maybe the, the other friend or cousin is Tomas. So that that's the part of, of it that I really, really like that it, it, it could be a property that with the audience would be embraced a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more genuinely. I don't know. <laughs> right. Because they don't just like or are fans of these things they believe that they could be Santiago right exactly exactly it's almost like a like you could create such a such a profound and deep and positive impact with with the content that's being placed out there and that's exactly what I wanted to try to do with with Santiago if I created something then then I hope it would be something that showed characters that were inspiring and that also championed empathy, which I feel like we need so much of that nowadays. <laughs> but knowing that you have that responsibility, right? When you're when yeah. when you're creating this, I think opens up a different door than any other type of creation. Because as creators, I think we hold some sort of responsibility for whatever we put out in the world. But in kids, even more so. So what, why Santiago of the Seas? What brought you to that? Santiago of the Seas became basically my love letter to Puerto Rico. Um, so when I was at the time that I was pitching all these concepts and they weren't being sticky enough, I, I suppose. There was one really great exec at the, at the studio on the development side who I consider like my fairy godmother. Um, she she had a chat with me um and she told me i just i just want you to you know be very casual about pitching potential ideas what what mattered to you when when you were little when when you were growing up i feel like you have a pretty interesting perspective because there's not a lot of people in the studio especially at the time that were from puerto rico So I, I told her about my childhood. I told her how I was obsessed with movies like the Goonies and um, that I loved going to old San Juan and hearing about pirate stories and how there were, you know, legends about this one particular historical figure in Puerto Rico who, who was a pirate and he was almost, almost considered like a Robin Hood of the high seas because he would mm -hmm. look after his community Um, so when I started to talk about all that, she was like, I think you have something there. So I, I chased that. I, I took like a, like a month long creative sabbatical where I went back home to Puerto Rico. Um, and I went to caverns where supposedly this pirate used to, used to hide his treasure. I would go through the rainforest to seek more inspiration to write in old San Juan And then I flew over to New Orleans to just get deeper into in the, the into the pirate lore of things. Um, and within that month of research, uh, I also just started writing my my pitch bible, um, illustrations, the premise, the characters, um, the purpose of the show, its goal why it would fit with Nickelodeon. And it was before Thanksgiving 
of 2016 that I sent it out to to that executive and some and another exec uh, within the Nick uh, Nick Junior Preschool um, department and and they replied back saying oh this is really good so uh, a couple of weeks later they they called me um, to their offices to tell me that they wanted to to develop it and I cried <laughs> I was so happy. of course. After like, all of that, <laughs> I, I, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna create a show that taps into adventure um, and magic, then I myself have to experience that adventure and that magic of of exploring places. And I don't know, <laughs> it, it makes it a little bit more genuine, a little bit more authentic. I love hearing from creatives how they really, whatever project that they're doing or when, whenever we talk about their projects, like how they went into that world, how it becomes their baby and, um, you know, using all of these tools to develop them because it's not so much of, oh, I, ha- I went into the jungle and I had this great idea for this scene. It's more of now I understand what it feels mm-hmm. like what what I want to transmit to these kids, what is the awe and the magic of standing in, in the rainforest or something like that. So it premiered on October 9th yeah. and it broke ratings records, right? <laughs> yeah. So why do you think that is? Oh gosh, I mean, I, I want to hope that people got excited of, of seeing, you know, these are characters that exist in such a lush world and they're outside when all of us are inside safely quarantining, (laughs) safely staying indoors and, and, and all that jazz. It's, I feel like it kind of relieves some stress to, to watch a show where kids are out at sea or they're exploring a forest or, you know, they're, with, with their community celebrating. And I also think that kids want to see themselves represented. And here's a cast that is extremely diverse. You have people of color from all shades under the same culture. They're all celebrating the same culture. They're, they're all bilingual. And, and we need more of that. So... That to me, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope that maybe that's why <laughs> ratings were were so positive. Um, but but yeah, yeah, it was it was really it was. Gosh, I'm I'm I, I I'm like stuttering because thinking about it is just so um, unreal. <laughs> I, I never no. thought in my wildest dreams that that would happen, but it's meant a lot to me that um, people have have embraced the show and they're, they're reacting so positively towards it. A little while ago, my producer, Ariel, gave me this great idea to call this segment La Esquinita, The Corner. I'll be sharing some of my thoughts of the week. Do you sometimes feel like you don't have enough time? I just sounded like I'm about to start talking about some organization hack or sell you some product. But the reason I ask is that it can be for little things like not having enough time to go to the supermarket or cook or clean the house 
Or it can be bigger things like travel the world, start your business, or turn a side hustle into something profitable. I hear this idea a lot. When it comes to making podcasts, sometimes people don't quite know that this podcast is brought to you by the Hispanic Communications Network, and they think that it's a hobby. I mean, I do love it, but it's part of my job. So my situation is a little different. However, the idea that a passion, a hobby, has to be somehow monetized is a little stressful to me. And I'm sure many people have built their businesses like that and are happy and proud about it. But sometimes a hobby is just a hobby. And it loses that thing that drew you into it in the first place the moment you decide to monetize it. I don't know, what do you guys think? Why is there this pressure to monetize hobbies or post about them or make them worth your time? Let me know what you guys think. Remember, you can DM us at LatinX or you can DM me directly at Andrea M. Here. It's interesting how we're barely tap, like Hollywood is barely tapping into this like representation of Latinos, right? Mm -hmm. But it's still sort of limited in that Latinos are Mexicans. And you kind of forget that there are many many oh, other yeah. types of Latinos and we're all different cultures. And Absolutely. we know this because just, I mean, my family is de Mexico y de Honduras. So I understand Ariel where he, like he, he comes from and everything, but we have Puerto Ricanos, Argentinos, yeah. and it's another world. They speak differently. We have different wor words and what their meanings are. Um, it's so important for the education of kids to know And looking back at my own, how I was educated in that, to know one, that they, like, their representation matters and exists, but two, and I hate saying this, I'm trying to find another <laughs> way of saying it, but like that we're not a monolithic culture. And I hate saying that Correct. because like, it's obvious, we aren't yeah. monolithic. Whoever thinks that Latinos are monolithic yeah, is it's like, all under one, what rock are yeah. you living under? That's yeah. not, no. Um But the truth is, and we see it in like in Hollywood and what we see in series and, and television and even, you know, cartoons now, it's, it's true. We don't have a lot of things where we, where we talk about, uh, you know, Puerto Rico, este, Cuba, um, Honduras, again. Um, so <laughs> that probably is a lot of why this series was so popular. Can you talk to me a little bit more of why it's so important for kids to be able to see this. Like, what is the actual impact and influence it has on a kid's education to not just see, to name a Nickelodeon show, Dora la Exploradora, you know, but many other types of Latinos out there. So I think that the specificity, that relatability, it, it certainly boosts a kid's self-esteem of that matter. I, I, And, and this is, this is also based off feedback that I've gotten from, from parents. I've had a lot of parents reach out to me to say, my little kid got so excited when they heard this character say, wepa, which is, it's a, it's an, a term of excitement that's used very, very much in Puerto Rico. We say like, oh, wepa. So When the little kid heard that Santiago said "wepa," the mom tells me that he turned to her to say, "Mommy, he says wepa like us." So 
those things matter. You become, you, you embrace your culture. Um, I've had instances too, where moms tell me that their little kid was resistant to wanting to pick up and learn Spanish. And then they see a hero who commands his, his tools and his magical ship using Spanish words. And all of a sudden they're, they're talking in Spanish. So I've had mom tell me like, thank you so much. My kid now wants to learn Spanish. So it's those little things matter. You can create change when you have role models on screen that, that celebrate the language and, and the specificity of, of the culture, of the folklore, of traditions, of, and that sense of community. Or we, we've worked with Hispanicize, which is from the NGL Collective, which is uh, part of Je- John Leguizamo's work. Uh-huh. Um, and he plays a character, right? Yes, In- he does. He is a Sir Butterscotch, which is a palm crow who is Bonnie Bones' sidekick. Bonnie Bones is um, our playful antagonist. I, w- I don't want to call her villain like the villain because she she is she is endearing in her mischief (laughs) um but but yeah um john leguizamo is is an amazing person and an an incredible talent to have on board this show he he really has brought so much life and comedy to to this character and the dynamics between Bonnie and Sir Butterscotch are just chest kiss. <laughs> That's awesome. What would you say is your favorite part of been of working with talent? Are you there in the room? Like, do you get to see them recording these voices? Uh, I, I did a couple of instances. So for the first season of Santiago, we, we had a bicoastal production situation. So the storyboard artist and the designers and posts were all on the West Coast in LA, whereas the writing room and and the records were happening in New York. So a couple of times I had the opportunity to fly over there and and get to see the actors breathe life to these characters through their performance. And it, it's it's really cool. <laughs> how did it how does that feel? To see uh, other people saying <laughs> your creation. I, I don't know. I mean, I I always giggle with excitement. <laughs> like my go-to reaction. I'm I like, can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a a lot of the the actors they're they're all young, so it's very cute and sweet to see them voice the the characters, and you know, early on trying to figure out, oh, this is this is who the character is. So they'll have, you know, you'll, you'll eventually find, Oh yeah, that's a quirk. That's very specific to this character. It it was almost like, um, a field of exploration in, in building these characters, personalities, just by chances that the actors were taking. It's really, really cool. You just see the, the magic in motion, I guess. I kind of want to know a little more of, why what it's like what is what a day in the life of someone who is producing this type of content looks like 
So I know it's a very broad way of saying this, but like (laughs) you mentioned like that you created this whole uh, presentation to give to the executives of Nickelodeon. So, you know, that's done. So what does your day, what are your days look like now? So I wake up in the morning and (laughs) (laughs) look at all the emails. (laughs) Of course, Uh, emails. I think that could be a universal understood all jobs. I I assess the situation via my inbox. Um, I have a multitude of meetings throughout the day. Uh, it, It really, like when you become a showrunner, in comparison to what I was doing before, prior to this, I was I was a um, a color designer, so I would get into work and I had my my bounty of work that I needed to paint, and that was that. But as as a showrunner, you yes, you are involved in the creative, but I think a lot of times when folks say, "Oh, I want to be a showrunner," they have to also be aware that there's a lot of management involved into into this this position and you have to you have to be a leader that finds ways to support your team as best as possible so they can fulfill their duties to to the best capacity so that's what I do most of the time I'm just communicating with my team um, making sure that questions are answered that they have the right direction as to what we're doing for, you know, whatever, whatever new set or, or location we're building for a specific episode, they have all that information. Um, what, what new characters we have. Uh, and with that, I mean, it's, it's casting. What, what are the voices that we're, what kind of voice quality do we want? What actors are there? Um, with the designers, what's going to be the look of that character. Then the painters have to deal with texture and color schemes. And it's, it's a repetition of all that through all the departments. Um, and then there's also the writing room in motion. So what new premises are we exploring? What's going to be the goal of this story? Right. I, I would just say it's like, a very intricate game of musical chairs <laughs> and I'm standing up every couple of seconds to move to another chair to <laughs> to tackle whatever whatever's whatever needs to be taken care of at that time sounds like you're an orchestra conductor is that what orchestra that, you say yeah, yep <laughs> that that's yeah that's what I'm doing. <laughs> and your mind is like the Bible of a basic. Show, I yep. Suppose. Yep. I, I suppose I would be like the compass of, of this ship. <laughs> I'm just making sure that we're going down the right, sailing the right waters. <laughs> the North Star. Yeah. Yes. Following it. That's super cool. I, um, I think I've read of like what it involves to be a showrunner um, because I asked myself those questions. Sometimes I'm watching series and I'm like, who made that decision? And so I like go into this dark hole of like, why was this? Obviously, you never know who made the final decision. But I remember once stumbling upon like, this is what a showrunner does. And I was like, oh, this is why the series sucks now. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
Um, but that is that is really cool um, and different. I think I've never had a showrunner on the show, obviously. So I want to give Ariel a chance to, if you have any, Ariel, ask a question. Hi, Nikki. So obviously I'm very into production and I've always wondered how long does it take for an episode to be ready from the time that it's on script to the time where it's actually on TV. I feel like that's something that everyone wonders, you know? Oh my gosh. Um, it can go from six to nine months for an episode to get made. Yep. Cause you've got what? Yep. Yep. Animation. It takes a while <laughs> cause you have, the script and then there's casting involved you've got storyboarding um then there's design uh and with storyboarding you're going back and forth it goes through different rounds you get notes from the network from other executives um from consultants in the case of santiago because we also have cultural consultants to make sure that we continue to be culturally authentic um and then what happens then um after all that we proceed to shipping the the storyboards which are now in the form of an animatic overseas because we work with um, an overseas studio that does the animation in malaysia and they're fantastic um wow. their their name their their studio is called lemon sky um so then they start to animate the episode um That also has multiple rounds as the animation continues to get finessed. Once the animation is approved, then they have to render it so that we get, you know, the really cool version with the lighting and the textures. Right. And and after that, we go into post-production and, and then we repeat it all. It, like, as this is going, we also are launching another episode. Then we start script again with, with something else. So it's... It's all, <laughs> it's a wheel that keeps turning and turning and turning. So, I mean, oh my God. So that this takes, a, so if you're committed to doing a, any type of animation, you have to be really committed for years, I'm supposing, because this is just like one episode. That's a lot yeah, of time. Yeah. Commitment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so you were talking about that you're basically wearing a lot of different hats. Yep. Because everything is in motion and you have to be know everything. Um, what would you say is at the end of the day one of your most favorite things to do and hats to wear? Oh my gosh! Anytime I'm sitting with my team and we're just really discussing anything, it's all to me. It's very important that sense of collaboration. Like I. I want to make sure that my workspace is is one where it's it's safe for for my my teammates to to take chances and say I really like this idea. How about we explore this possibility? Like I want I want my people to feel supported and encouraged to to take a chance because I feel like that's that's the thing that helps um, level up the quality of of the show. It, it keeps us evolving to something greater, hopefully. <laughs> If you follow me on Instagram at Andrea M. Here, you might have already seen that I recommend books. 
so I thought of giving you my recommendation of the week here on books. Or maybe other cool stuff I might come across as well. Okay, I'm almost done watching The Queen's Gambit, starring Anya Taylor-Joy, and directed by Scott Frank. I mean, it's an amazingly well-done miniseries on Netflix. Worth watching. Anya is superb in her role, so if you've run out of things to watch, and I even feel like the need for content has lowered our expectations. But watch this. The new series that have come out this year, I think that this one has been my of my favorites. It's a story about a young orphan who turns out to be a chess prodigy and about her and us learning the price that comes with being a genius. Anya draws you in immediately with her subtlety. I mean, at least I think so. So give it a watch and let me know what you think. You know the rest. DM Ladnikis or me at Andra M here. How would you say making this show has changed you as a person? Like, obviously it's been years, yeah. but, and you're going to change regardless of if there's a show or not. But if you could pinpoint something that creating Santiago of the Seas did for you personally that either helped you grow or made you think about life differently? Um, I would have to say that it allowed me to trust my gut a little bit better. Earlier on in the process, I, you know, being a first time creator, I was very hesitant. I, I was like, well, you know, this is my first time doing this. So maybe what other people is the right thing? What do I know? But then as time progressed, I found out that there were certain things that if I would have trust my gut initially, I probably would have skipped through some of the trials and tribulations. So I, I, I yeah, my confidence has definitely improved significantly through, through this journey. I feel a little bit more at ease with with myself, knowing, of course, that there's still, this is, this is a never ending journey of, of continuing to grow, um, for the better. Um, yeah. <laughs> Would you say then that was, that's like a made, uh, Because my next question, that's one of the last um, that I'll be asking you was going to be what, what would be your recommendation for anyone who's starting out their career in production or um, animation, any of, you know, something related to your field? Would you say trusting your gut would be something you'd recommend? Yes, absolutely. But also if, if you are new to this industry, I would say be be very open to to learning to learning and and listening as you start um, lean into into the knowledge and the advice of those that have been there uh, for a while and also you know as you progress take chances and and you know contribute <laughs> you if, if you are included in a production something something was, was acknowledged in you that you could offer to that team. So take a chance. Speak your mind. <laughs> Anyone who's just getting in, in the room that matters, Hamilton reference, everybody. Um, 
anyone who's in the room that matters, I think, in any industry should probably, that's really good to remember, like, you're there for a reason. Yeah. You were chosen to be in that room for a reason. Now, prove it, sort of. Exactly. Um, is there anything else you would like to say, Nikki? Take some time, everybody, to take care of yourself. <laughs> I think self-care is so important. A lot of times, it's, I mean, even even for myself, I just feel like it's been a lot of go, 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 even though we're all at home and we sometimes forget that in order to function at our best, we need to take some time to rest a little bit, <laughs> collect ourselves, meditate, because um, otherwise we're not, we're not going <laughs> to move forward. <laughs> Santiago of the Seas can be watched on Nickelodeon. Uh, new episodes every Friday at 12.30 p.m. They re-air those episodes on Nick Jr. at 10 a.m. on Saturdays. And then you can find me on Instagram through my username, Brew Ha Ha Ha. Ha? There's like three ha's. Brew dot ha dot ha dot ha um, don't worry I'll make sure to have that information <laughs> in the description of the episode too too many ha ha's <laughs> um, and then let me check what my twitter handle I know it's Nikki Lopez but I don't know if the underscore is in the middle towards the end okay so Nikki N-I-K-I underscore Lopez L-O-P-E-Z that's where you can find me on twitter So guys, as I always say, make sure to support your communities. It doesn't matter what you choose to advocate for, just go out there and help. Connect and inspire others to do the same. Thank you for listening and supporting Ladnikis. We've loved seeing the growth and engagement on our platforms. Remember to check out additional information about this episode in the description. Lastly, support us by downloading our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can stay up to date. And... Join our community on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Ladnikis. Reach out and let me know what's important to you. I'd love to hear what you have to say.